You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. Y'all ready? We're closing our series tonight, this incredible series that we have been in for the past, count them with me, one, two, three, four, five weeks, y'all. We've been in this series for five weeks, all about spiritual disciplines. Series is called Real Life. Somebody say Real Life. And um, I'm just curious, has God spoken to anybody in this series so far? Have you implemented any of the spiritual disciplines we've talked about so far in your life? I see some hands. Come on. That's what I'm talking about. I actually know a lot of you did that this past weekend because Serve Saturday was dope. And I saw so many students serving at Serve Saturday. So guess what you did? A spiritual discipline service, right? Give yourself a pat on the back. That's awesome. So you guys are killing it. But this is the final week of real life. And uh, tonight we're going to be closing out the series looking at what I think is really like the top dog of all spiritual disciplines. Somebody say, ooh. Top dog of all spiritual disciplines. In fact, I think that all the spiritual disciplines are important, but really if we look at them, all of them should lead us to this spiritual discipline tonight. They should all point us towards the one we're going to talk about tonight. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you've got your phone or your notebooks, get it ready because we're going to be starting off in James chapter 5 tonight. And we've been in James a lot this week or this month in our church. We're going to hit James up tonight. And uh, so, and, and you know, if you've been on, at church on the weekends, Pastor Sarah's been doing this thing where like we stand up when we read God's word. And I don't know about you, I kind of like it. I kind of like it. Like, I don't know about you, but it helps me focus a little bit more. So I don't know. I thought I'd try it tonight. So stand up with me, New Song students. Yes. Don't worry. We're not going to do this every week. I'm just kind of testing the waters, okay? But we're going to read God's word. I want you to lean in. I want you to read it with me on the screen. Focus in. Here's what it says. James 5, starting in verse 13, here's what it says. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Let's try that again. You should pray. pray. That's right. Are any of you happy? You should sing songs of praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and Pray over you, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray. That's right. Pray for one another. You guys sound good. So that you may be healed. The earnest prayer. You guys are so good. The earnest prayer of the righteous person has great power. And produces wonderful results. This is good stuff, guys. Elijah was a human as we are, yet he prayed. And he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall. None fell for three and a half years. Then he prayed again, and the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. Okay, you guys can take a seat. Y'all sounded good tonight. Y'all are ready to lean in. I can tell. I'm fired up. Let's go. We're talking tonight about the spiritual discipline of, you guessed it, prayer. We're talking about praying tonight. In fact, if you're taking notes, the title of the message is, Prayer Is, dot, dot, dot. Prayer Is. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. What in the world is prayer? So before we get into this, let's pray so that we can know how to pray, okay? 
Pray with me. Father God, I thank you so much for tonight. Man, you are so good, Father. Thank you for meeting us in worship. Thank you that we can come boldly to your throne, that no matter what we walked through today, no matter what came against us, no matter what in our life is, is happening, we can come straight, directly, and boldly to your throne, God. And I thank you that you're here tonight. You want to speak. You want to move. And I thank you that you've given us this gift of prayer. It's not just a discipline. It's a gift. And I pray that you would open up every single student, leader, myself, God, open up our hearts to have a bigger picture, a bigger view, a bigger understanding of how amazing this gift is in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Okay. So like I said, we've been in this series on the weekends, uh, completely devoted to the book of James. It has been so good. I've been getting so much out of it. And I really believe that our church has been getting a lot out of it too. And I'm just curious, how many of you have read James more than twice in the past month? Like, you've read it a couple times. You've been in James a lot. Some of y'all have been slacking. (laughs) Just saying. I'm just kidding. But I've been reading James a lot. And I've been reading it, and then I've been going back to it, and then I've been rereading it again. It has been so good. I love James. It's so simple. James is so cut and dry. He's just like, this is how it is. This is how it is. Don't, Don't say dumb things. This is how it is. He's so simple. I love it. And there's a passage in, this, in, in the book of James that I've noticed I keep coming back to again and again. And it's this passage we just read in James 5, verse 13 through 18. And here, James is talking about the spiritual discipline of prayer. Let's try that again. He's talking about the spiritual discipline of prayer. That's right. And, and what he's trying to do in this passage is he's trying to remind the reader, hey, check this out. Prayer does something. He's like trying to shake us a little bit. Hey, when you pray, you're not just like saying empty words into the atmosphere. He's like, yo, when you pray, it does something. In fact, he's painting this picture to us of like, hey, as a Christian, prayer should be your first response to anything you walk through. It should be your first response. So he kind of gives us some examples of this. He says, uh, you're suffering hardship? You going through something hard? You should pray. He says, you're sick. You need to go tell somebody at the church so they can pray for you. He even says, hey, are you dealing with sin in your life? You need to tell somebody so they can what? Pray Pray for you. And then you're going to be healed. It's pretty clear. For James, prayer is kind of an important thing for Christians. And he's trying to get us to see that uh, as a Christian, no matter what we face, prayer should be our first response to anything we walk through. And I love the way he tries to motivate us to this, um, to prayer. He's not just saying, he's not telling us to pray by commanding us to pray. He's not like, hey, Jesus prayed a lot, so you should pray a lot. And and James is pretty cut and dry, so he could have just said, as a Christian, you need to wake up an hour every day before the sun comes up, and you need to pray that whole hour. That's not what he says. He's trying to motivate us to prayer. Are you hearing me? He's trying to motivate us. And so how does he do this? He tries to give us a bigger picture. He's trying to open up our view of prayer, and he's trying to open up our view to a type of prayer, a consistent, persistent, and intimate prayer. Somebody say consistent, persistent, and intimate. And so the way he does this, the reason why he's trying to do this is because he understands this about prayer. Write this down. Our view of prayer 
determines how we pray. Our view of prayer determines how we're going to pray. And here's the reality. Most Christians, including me at one point in my life, most of us have a really small view of what prayer actually does. We've got a, we've got a small view of, of our role in prayer, and, and it, we, we've got a small view of the fact that it's actually a huge gift from God. In fact, prayer is one, out of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is probably the most common. Would you say so? Like, you don't even have to be a Christian to know on some level what prayer is. But even though it's the most common knowledge, unfortunately, the reality is it's hardly ever commonly practiced. It's hardly ever commonly practiced. Instead of it being a first response for Christians, it actually, if we're being real, and I've been here before too, it's actually our last resort. So we're going through hard things. And we've tried everything else. And then when everything's falling apart, we're finally at this place where we're like, God, save me. Have you ever been there before? Yeah, I've been there before. We, we, we get sick and we just kind of let it run its course. Like we just sit down and we're like, I'm just going to let it do its thing. I did that last month when I was sick. I just let it run its course. I didn't pray. It wasn't my first response. We do this. We go through hard things and we try to muscle through it. We just try to make it happen without God's help. We do this all of the time. We, we experience anxiety, and we just try to cope. We try to distract ourselves with anything and everything so we don't have to deal with the anxiety we face, but we don't ever pray. We don't give it to God. We, maybe some of you are here today, and there's some big decisions you have to make. Maybe you're, you, something that you think about a lot is, man, I have no idea what I want to do with my life. Like, do I want to go to college? Like, I have no friends. Where am I going to make real friends? You have all of these questions that are hitting you, but we never go to prayer first. It's always our last resort. And James, in chapter 5, what is he doing? He's trying to motivate us. He's trying to get us to see, as Christians, that when we pray, something happens. It produces. What does he say? It says, the prayer of a righteous person, the earnest prayer, produces wonderful results. How many of you would want to see wonderful results produced in your life? Yeah, I know I would too. So the question is, why don't we pray? Why don't we pray? Why isn't that our first response to anything that we walk through? And I think the reason why is because our view of prayer is too small. It's too small. We, we view prayer too small. And just like I said, the, view, the way we view prayer determines how we're going to pray. It determines how much time we're going to spend and what that prayer looks like. In fact, write this down. Most Christians view prayer as something I should do. I should pray more. I really should pray more, but I don't. We view it like that instead of something I get to do. We look at it as something I should do instead of something I get to do as a Christian. Dallas Willard, he says this. Now, just before, you get, before I read this, it's kind of a confusing quote, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clarify what it means. He says this, It would, of course, be a rather low-voltage spiritual life in, in which prayer was chiefly undertaken as a discipline. Whoa, what in the world did he just say? He's saying your prayer life is going to be really lame and not intimate if you see prayer as a chore. You hear me? Look at what he says. We should, we don't, if we see it as a chore... It's going to be low voltage rather than a way of co-laboring with God to accomplish good things and advance his kingdom purposes. Somebody say, we need a bigger picture. We need a bigger picture. So 
Uh, what, what he's saying here is this. We miss out on the power of prayer when we see it as a chore. Write that down. Take, if you're taking notes, write that down. We miss out on the power of prayer when we see it as a chore. And when, when you view prayer as something that you should do, when you view it as something you should do because you're a Christian, let's be real, it's probably not going to be the first thing you actually end up doing because you don't want to do it. It's, it's boring. It doesn't seem intimate to you. It doesn't seem like a big deal. It doesn't change things. You don't see it as something that you're partnering with God about. Now, to kind of help illustrate this, I know, I know in this series we've talked a lot about uh, how spiritual disciplines are a lot like our physical body, and it's a lot like exercise. And um, I think we're... I think that honestly, it's just like the perfect, it's like the perfect mashup. There's not a better way to look at it. And so because of that, unfortunately, I, I am going to be talking a little bit about CrossFit tonight. And <laughs> some of y'all, some of y'all are like, here go, here, here goes again. Here, Pastor Jackson goes again with the CrossFit talk. He's probably going to talk about Great British Baking Show after that. I'm not, I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to stay in CrossFit tonight. Okay, guys. But uh, if you're thinking that, by the way, here's what I got to say to you. I got the mic. <laughs> Do you have the mic? Oh, I got the mic. Okay, okay. Cool. So we're talking about CrossFit tonight. So uh, some of you guys know my wife Haley and I, we do CrossFit. We love doing CrossFit. It's something we do together. We love to compete against one another. We like to push each other. We even, we carve out time every single week intentionally so we can do CrossFit. It's something we love to do. We're your crazy CrossFit people. And um, this past year when my daughter was born, um, we knew that we wanted to keep doing this, but also having a newborn is a lot of work, and it takes a lot of time. You can't just go to the gym for hours and hours and leave each other alone with the baby for, for all day long. So we decided to invest in turning our garage into a little CrossFit gym. So it's pretty cool. So we've got a little CrossFit gym in our garage, and it's amazing. We love it. And my favorite thing about the gym is sharing it. I love to share this thing. And so almost every single week, we have somebody from the church, because you guys are our family, we invite somebody over to do a CrossFit session with us. It's nasty, it's brutal, and then we die, and then we're happy. It's just really fun. And so um, uh, earlier this year, I invited one of my buddies to come do CrossFit with me. Now, if you've worked out with me before, it's nobody in this room, okay? So you can calm down. I'm not about to talk about you on the platform. But there was one time when I invited one of my buddies over, and it was his first time to ever do CrossFit. And um, there are some workouts, let's just say, there are some workouts that are better suited for beginners than others, and I did not pick the right one. <laughs> Whoops. I, I picked one that was honestly so difficult, and I didn't mean to, but it was not a good beginner workout at all. And on top of that, it's the middle of the summer, we're in my garage, so there's no AC. It's like 100 degrees outside, and we're just like, there's puddles of sweat in here. I mean, we are dying. My, my face looks like a tomato. I'm so red and so hot. And we finished this workout. It was nasty. It was brutal. We were so uncomfortable. And at the end of this workout, my buddy, he just kept saying to me, he was like, dude, how do you do this by yourself? He was like, what motivates you to, do, to go out here and do this when nobody's watching? Nobody, there's not a coach yelling at you like, drop down and give me 50, you worm. You know what I mean? Like, like nobody's making me do this. He was like, why do you keep going? Like, why don't you just stop when it gets uncomfortable? 
And it got me thinking, like, yeah, I don't know. Why do I keep going? <laughs> that is kind of crazy, actually. I could stop whenever I want. And I, it got me thinking, the reason why I, why I go, why I do CrossFit consistently, why I do it every day when I can, why I even do it when it sucks and it's uncomfortable. The reason why is because I have a bigger view of it. I, I don't just see it as something that, it's like a chore that I do. Like, oh, I got to check this off my list today. No, I see it as something bigger than that. Like, I actually see exercise as something that's going to allow me to be a strong and healthy father and husband to my family. Like, if I'm being real, here's one reason why I do it. It's because when, when I'm an old fart one day and my kids are older and they want to race me, I want to be able to beat them. Like, I don't want to be that old dad that just, like, can't do anything and just, like, sits and watches the kids. If they want to race me, I want to smoke them. You know what I'm saying? And so that's why I work out. That's why I do fitness. My, my view is bigger. I, I, I don't just do it because it's a chore. I do it because it's something that me and Haley connect on as a couple. It's something that we love to do together, so it's important to me. I do it for my mental health. I do it because it's good for me to disconnect, right? Are you hearing me? My view is bigger than just it's exercising. And so because my view is bigger, it determines the way I do it. My view directly determines the how. Are you seeing me? In the same way, when we view prayer a certain way, when we view it as tiny, as a chore, as something I got to do because I'm a Christian, and there's no relationship, there's no power involved, you're never going to pray because that's lame. That's not what prayer is supposed to be. Prayer is so much bigger than that. It's so much deeper than that. And so you and I, we need a bigger view. We need a better picture of what prayer is. In fact, I think sometimes we think today in modern times, like, oh, we struggle with praying because we have all these distractions. We've got iPhones and all of these things pulling at us. But can I tell you, people have struggled with prayer since Jesus was walking on the earth. Like, it's not a new problem. So you can just calm down. You're not the only one who struggled with prayer before. In fact, in, the, in Matthew chapter 6, we find Jesus warning the disciples about having a small view of prayer. Look at this small view of prayer that he warns them against. He says, and when you pray, you must not pray like the hypocrites do. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. This is why they pray. Not so they can see good fruit come out of their life. Look at this. So that they may be seen by others. That's a small view of prayer. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. That's all they're going to get. But when you pray, somebody say you pray. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So what is Jesus trying to get us to see? He's trying to get us to see that when we have a really small view of prayer, when you see prayer as something that you need to do in order to look and feel holy to God, He says, that's too small. That's too small because then you're going to pray in a certain way that's wrong. You're going to pray in a way that thinks, I need to pray in front of people so they can see me. Or I need to say a certain type of, I need to say big fancy words so that I can have a good prayer. And Jesus says, that's too small. That's a small view of prayer. God's bigger than that. He wants to do more than that. And maybe you're a person who's struggled with prayer before. Maybe for you, it's, it's a hard thing for you to want to do. I've been there before. Maybe it's not your first response in life. It's not the first thing you go to, if you'd be honest. I think the answer to the why I don't pray can be seen in the what I think it looks like. What's my view? So we got to work backwards, right? 
We got to work backwards. What do I see prayer as? Do I see prayer the same way Jesus saw prayer? And so we got to answer this question. Well, how did Jesus pray? Because how many of you know Jesus prayed a lot? He was pretty good at praying. He was probably the master at praying. And he prayed a lot. In fact, the disciples in Matthew 6, later on in that chapter we just read, um, they ask Jesus this question. It's this famous question um, where they say, hey, can you teach us how to pray? You guys familiar with this? They ask him, hey, can you teach us how to pray? And the reason why is because they just saw him praying. And when they saw him praying, they were like, I don't pray like that. (laughs) He is praying in a way I'm not even on the same level. Can you teach me how to do that, Jesus? And look at this. This is what happens. It says, once when Jesus was in a certain place, let's try it again. Once when Jesus was in a certain place, there we go. As he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, can you show me how you did that? Can you teach me how to pray? Now, you got to know, by this point in the biblical story, by this point in the timeline, they've already seen Jesus do some crazy stuff. They've seen him heal people. They've seen him turn water into wine. They've seen him preach the most incredible sermons of all time, the Sermon on the Mount. He's multiplied bread for 5,000 people. It was actually like 25,000 people because that was just the men. So check this out. They've never asked Jesus how to do anything else. Like, I don't know about you, but if I was a disciple, I would have been like, yo, Jesus, can you teach me how to multiply bread? Because I'm, I'm I eat a lot, and I like bread. So that'd be a cool trick to have. None of the disciples were like, yo, Jesus, there's this girl down over by the gates, and, uh, and I kind of like her. Could you uh, teach me how to do that, like, Pharisee mind control trick? And, like, like I want to know if she likes me or not. Like, that's not... They haven't asked him to teach them how to do anything except pray. And it's because that's the one thing they've seen him do more than anything else. And the way he prayed was so different than the way they viewed prayer that it caused them to do this. Dude, how do you pray like that, Jesus? Like when I pray, it's boring. When I pray, I don't even know if God's listening to me. But when you pray, it seems like you know what you're doing. Seems like when you pray, you're actually like, you're connecting with God. Can you teach me how to do this? Are you hearing me? The way Jesus prayed was so different than them that it caused them to think, how do I do that? Check this out. Jesus modeled consistent, persistent, and intimate prayer. Write that down if you're taking notes. Jesus modeled to everybody consistent, persistent, and intimate prayer. We're going to get into each one of these three things in just a second. But just to show you how consistently Jesus prayed, I want to give you some passages. Look at this. Matthew 14. After he sent the crowds away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. Got another one for you. Luke chapter 6. Look at this. It was at this time he went off to the mountain to pray. And he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Okay, that's where I'm not doing that. I can't pray all night. I can't even stay up all night. Let's be real. I got one more for you. Mark 1, 35. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. So Jesus had a specific view of prayer, and the way he saw prayer dictated the way he prayed. It was consistent, it was persistent, and it was intimate. He was willing to lose some sleep to meet with God. 
He was willing to pray even when it got hard. He was willing to pray all night long. That's some patience. That's a big view of prayer. And so his prayer life was so rich, it was so intimate, so powerful, that everybody saw it and thought, I want to pray like that. And I'm just curious, when people see you, when they see me, do they have that same kind of response? Like, when people see you, do they say, man, that person knows God. They know God. When they see you, do they see somebody that they can trust you with a prayer request? (laughs) Or are you just going to say, yeah, I'll pray about it, and then you totally don't, right? (laughs) Are we these kind of people? We need to be. But here's the good news. If you're not, you can be. You can have a prayer life just like Jesus. Because remember, all the way back in week one of this series, we said all of the spiritual disciplines, what do they do? They help us do the things Jesus did. So check this out. If Jesus had a powerful prayer life, so can I. That's good news. If Jesus had a powerful prayer life, so can you. So with the time I have left, which is not a lot, so I'm going to have to run through this, (laughs) I want to look at three things. Three pictures of prayer that we have to have if we're going to have a prayer life that resembles anything like Jesus. Amen? Amen. Somebody say, prayer is. Prayer is. is. First one is this, relational. Prayer is relational. All prayer, every single type of prayer has to start with this relational aspect. In fact, any time... The Bible command, even when the Bible commands you to literally pray, it's assuming that you're going to start it at this foundation of relationship. It's not a chore. It's not a discipline that you have to do to check off the good Christian list. No, no, no. It starts off with relationship. So the, the disciples, they come to Jesus. They're like, yo, teach me how to pray. And Jesus doesn't like hide it. He's not like, no, this is my secret sauce. You can't know this stuff. No, Jesus, he gives it all away. He spills all the tea. He gives away all the cheat codes. Are cheat codes still a thing, by the way, in video games, cheat codes? Do you guys remember cheat codes? I don't know if anybody's going to remember this, but when I was a kid, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2, there was a cheat code that made you be able to ollie like 40 feet in the air. It was like moon, moon gravity or something. It was dope. Anyway, I don't know if cheat codes are real anymore. But Jesus gave away the prayer cheat codes, okay? The, the prayer cheat codes. And according to, according to Jesus, here's the very first thing we got to do in prayer. He says, pray like this, our Father. Man, that's, I know you've probably heard this before, but let it just be a fresh reminder to you tonight. Pray like this, our Father. David Guzik writes this. He says, it was a very unusual thing for Jews of that day to call God Father because it was considered too intimate. It's true that God is our mighty, sovereign God, God of the universe who created and governs and will judge all things, but he is also your father. And really, our our translations of, of this passage, they don't do it justice, because the word Jesus uses here is Abba, and it's not actually father, it's actually daddy. And so, uh, I don't know about you, but I think if I, Pastor Jackson, started coming up on the weekends or on, on services on Wednesday, and every time I prayed, I started going, all right, Daddy God, I just thank you so much for New Song students, you would think that's too intimate too, right? You'd be like, Jackson, you're kind of weirding me out with the whole Daddy God thing. But here's the thing. 
This is the secret sauce to Jesus's prayer. And I'm not saying that you need to start starting your prayers off by saying, Daddy God. That's kind of, you, you do you. If you want to do that, go for it. But here's, what, here's really what Jesus is trying to get at. It's not about the word. It's about the relationship. Jesus is trying to get them to see, hey, you're not coming to God as like a slave. You're not coming to God as like this low being that just can't even handle his presence. No, you're coming to him like a child would their father. This is where prayer starts. It's the very beginning of prayer. And the way we pray, the way we relate to God is important. You know, for my daughter, Marlo, whenever she grows up, you know what I don't want her to call me when I get home from work one day? Pastor Jackson. Because that's weird. Like, I would, be, I would be a little upset if I came home one day and Marlo, she like very like ashamedly came up to me and was like, oh, Pastor Jackson... Mr. Wilson, your highness, can I, uh, can I please, if you have time, can I please have some juice? Like, that would break my heart. I'd be like, girl, I'm your daddy. You don't call me Mr. Wilson. What is this crap? Are you hearing me? This is how you're supposed to relate to God. You know why Jesus' prayer life was so intimate? It was because he depended on his father in the same way Marlo depends on me. You know, that's how you're supposed to pray. You're supposed to depend on God in the same way a baby needs their parents. That's the kind of relationship God wants to have with you. That's kind of the kind of prayer life God wants you to experience. Jesus lays the foundation right from the get-go. Hey, prayer's not a chore. It's a relationship. It's a way that you get to connect with your heavenly father. And I'm telling you, New Song students, it's a lot easier for prayer to be your first response when that's your start. When that's your starting point to prayer, I get to be with my father. That's way different than, oh, I should pray. Are you hearing me? It's completely different. Our views got to change. Somebody say, I need a bigger picture. So prayer starts at this. It starts as relational. But it doesn't end there. We're about to go deep, y'all. Are you ready? Can you hang in a little bit longer? Yeah. This next one's really important. Prayer is spiritual warfare. We're going there, y'all. <laughs> Prayer doesn't stop at relationship. It's spiritual warfare. You know, you're in a battle, New Song students. I'm not joking. You are in a battle. And I think sometimes we think that we're in a battle only when things aren't going our way. <laughs> Like, we think the enemy is attacking us when we got a flat tire on the way to school and when we're feeling extra sad or anxious one day. But can I tell you, that's not the way the enemy works. You are always in a battle. I love this quote I found. Look at this. It says, you are in a spiritual battle. If you are ignorant or ignore that, you probably aren't winning the battle. (laughs) If you don't think you're in a spiritual battle, guess what? You're probably not winning the battle. Spiritual warfare for me, can I just be real with you guys? For me, it's kind of like when I was growing up, I I did not know what that meant. I was like, spiritual what? Warfare? You mean I'm fighting demons? This is confusing. I didn't really know what it meant. I didn't know how it worked. I didn't know what it looked like to be a Christian and to be active in spiritual warfare. But let me remind you of this scripture in Ephesians 6. It says this, for we do not wrestle against our parents. We don't wrestle against people that we don't like. Look, we wrestle against, uh, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, 
cosmic powers over this present darkness and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. This is kind of crazy. In this passage, Ephesians, Paul is letting us know there's, there's an enemy that we're facing, and there's actually different like levels and ranks in the spiritual realm. It's kind of deep. It's kind of crazy. But look at this. There's this uh, quote that I love. It's from C.S. Lewis's book, Screwtape Letters. Have you ever heard of Screwtape Letters? It's a really cool book, really interesting. And C.S. Lewis actually writes this book pr- from the perspective of a demon. Kind of freaky. But what he's doing, it's not real, but he's writing it to try and help us to see, hey, spiritual warfare is a real thing. And it's all about screw tape, which is a demon, writing a letter to a lower level demon. And he's trying to like mentor him basically. Like, hey, this is how you attack people. This is how you steal, kill, and destroy. This quote is crazy. Look at this. This is a demon talking, by the way, just so you know. Just so you know. It is funny how mortals always picture us putting stuff in their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. So time out. Time out. This is what we think. We usually think the enemy is like this little devil on our shoulder whispering lies into our ears. You know what the enemy's greatest thing he can do for you? It's to get you to think that you're not in a spiritual battle. The greatest thing the enemy can do against you is to get you to think, well, I mean, it's not a battle. I mean, I feel okay. I feel fine. I'm not in a battle. When he's done that to you, you've already lost the battle. Because guess what? You're in a spiritual battle. In fact, I honestly, I still don't know how all of this works. But here's what I do know. There's a scripture in Daniel, the book of Daniel, and it kind of gives us this insight into what this looks like a little bit. And it's wild. This is one of those stories that you read and you're like, I didn't even know this was in the Bible. Uh, So I want to read it to you. In this passage, Daniel is doing that famous 30-day or 21-day Daniel fast. So he's been praying for 30 days straight, fasting good food. He's been suffering for Jesus, and he's praying to get an answer from God. And so after 21 days, an angel shows up to him in a vision, and this is what he says. It's going to blow your mind. Look at this. This is the angel talking. Don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray. Remember that. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourselves before God, your request has been heard in heaven. Okay, so time out. Before we go any further, are you seeing what I'm seeing? This angel literally just told Daniel, the second you started praying, I was on my way. How crazy is that? The second you started praying, God heard, and he sent me to answer this this prayer for you. But look at what happened. I have come to answer your prayer, but for 21 days, which is exactly how long Daniel was fasting, I, for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. He's not talking about like a flesh and blood prince. He's talking about a demon. Look at this. Blocked my way. Then Michael, the archangel, came and helped me, and I left there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I'm here to explain to you what, what happened to your people in the future, and for this vision concerns a time yet to come. How cool is this? Dude, this is God's word right here. Like, this is, this is real stuff. I love what it said. The second Daniel prayed, that angel was on his way. But I don't think Daniel necessarily knew that he was praying and he was actually acting in spiritual warfare. But this is exactly what earnest prayer looks like. What did James say? James said, the earnest prayer has effective results. I don't think Daniel was praying and he was knowing 
that he was doing spiritual warfare, but the fact that he didn't stop praying meant that his prayer was still coming. Are you hearing me? Sometimes I think we think spiritual warfare needs to look a certain way. I'm telling you, I really think it's just you not stopping. When you keep praying, you are in spiritual warfare. When you keep praying, you are making a way for your prayer to come to you. Can I get an amen? That is good stuff, New Song students. That is good stuff. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Why does it have great power? Because we serve, a, we, serve, we serve a greater prince, the prince of peace. We serve the king of kings. Even though you are in spiritual warfare, we already know the end is we win. So why stop praying? Are you hearing me? Why stop praying? So final thing as we get ready to close is this. Prayer is what keeps us going. And this is a really important one for us to dive into. Prayer is what keeps us going. Look at this. Jesus understood this point more than anything. Just because he was the son of God didn't mean he didn't feel anxiety. Just because he was the son of God didn't mean he didn't have any problems in life. Just because he was Jesus didn't mean he wasn't even tempted. Jesus experienced all of those things, but somehow, I don't know how, he always came out and he wasn't affected. He wasn't bogged down. He kept going. He prayed And here's why I think it's because he did this one thing. He prayed earnestly. He kept praying. In fact, prayer was his first response and surprise. He was never overcome by temptation. And he always did exactly what God told him to do. I think a great picture of this, I'm not going to read it to you. You guys know the story. It's the story when Jesus is in the garden. It's the garden of Gethsemane. It's the night before he's crucified. And in this moment, we get a glimpse into probably the most vulnerable prayer Jesus could ever pray. Like in this story, Jesus is given it, like just like we sang in worship, like you can have all of me, God. I'm not holding anything back. Jesus did not hold anything back in this prayer. So much so to the point that he even asked God to take the cross from him because he knew what was coming and it was causing him anxiety and fear and worry but he cast that onto God. He gave it to the Lord. He was honest with God because he was intimate with God. And we see Jesus leave this time of prayer and he actually has the strength to take the cross. Now check this out. We know that he wasn't the only one in the garden. If you remember, it wasn't just Jesus there. He brought his three closest friends into the garden with him. And guess what he told them to do? He told them to wait and pray. And he comes back, and what are they doing? They fell asleep. Now, this hit me really hard, and I I hope you see this. Jesus left the garden with strength and courage to obey God, even if it meant the cross. And he prayed. His three friends left the same garden, and they were driven by fear. They denied Jesus. And you know what they didn't do? They didn't pray. Same garden. Same struggle, same outcome that they were facing. One prayed and left and was able to do what God told him to do. The other three, fear, denial, shame. They left Jesus. And here's why. It's because Psalm 55, 22 says this, cast your burden onto the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. 
So check this out. We literally see Jesus doing this so clearly. He casts everything onto Jesus. He gives Jesus everything. And it didn't make everything go away. He still had to take the cross, but you know what it did give him the power to do? Gave him the power to be who he was called to be. Man, New Song students, I think so many times we are struggling and we are, we are being weighed down by things that if we would just cast that onto God, I'm telling you, he would sustain you. I promise you, he would sustain you. You know, there was a season in my life recently in the past couple of years when Wednesdays, this was when New Song Students was really small and we were still kind of going. Some of you were there. And can I just be real with you? There were some days where every single Wednesday, I was feeling so much anxiety It was like Wednesdays was the day I knew it was going to come. I was going to feel so much pressure, so much anxiety. And for so long, I just kind of just muscled my way through it. And one day I was talking with it with Haley and she said, have you prayed about it? She literally said what James said. Have you told God that you're overwhelmed and and feeling all this anxiety? And I was like, no, I haven't. And so what did I start doing? Well, I started seeing Wednesdays as an opportunity for me to Right when it happens, first response, cast my cares onto God. And I'm telling you, Wednesdays are now the best day of the week for me. And it's not just a statement I say in faith. It's something I believe and walk in every single Wednesday because I cast my burden every single day. And he sustains me. I wonder what you are not casting, New Song students. I wonder what you are holding back. Can I tell you God wants it? He, he really wants it. And if you would give it to him, I promise you, He would sustain you. He would lead you. So I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Every single head bowed, every single eye closed.